You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more. Welcome to episode 82 of the Hoops Fix podcast with me, a host, Sam Nita, full-time British basketball advocate. And this week, we're back to the players with none other than Olu Babalola. I would go as far to say as he is the best storyteller we've ever had on the podcast. This literally, I think, is one of the best recordings uh, that I've done because uh, he was so great and had so many great stories to tell. Uh, he is a former GB international, uh, more than a decade-long pro, and of course, went to a big-time program in Clemson where he was a three-year starter and one of the best defenders in the ACC. Uh, starting out uh, in Hackney, under the legendary late great uh, Joe White. Um, it was amazing just to hear everything that he's gone through to get to where he got to. And of course, what he's doing now since he's he stepped away from basketball, uh, running uh, the Wing Kings, a chicken wing shop uh, up in Sheffield, which is actually thriving uh, during the pandemic with, with home delivery. So I encourage you all to check that out as well. But yeah, it was a really good conversation and one I think um, I'm glad I did. And I think uh, does a really good job of documenting his journey um, so far. So I think you'll enjoy it as much as I did. Anyway, uh, before we get into this week's show, as always, take two seconds to go and check out our Patreon account, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash h-o-o-p-s-f-i-x. That's patreon.com forward slash hoopsfix. There you can start to give our same monthly or annual contribution of as much or as little as you'd like to help us do the work that we're doing. We're trying to grow the British basketball media landscape. So we're coming direct to you, our audience, um, to help us do that. Uh, so please consider giving what might be the price of a cup of coffee every single month to help us uh, do this work that I believe to be massively important. As always, if you're watching on YouTube, let me know what you think about what Olu had to say in the comments. He was super open. There was a lot of real juicy stories in there. Um, and of course, uh, if you want to reach out to me on every single social media platform, I'm at HoopsFix. Or you can hit me up directly on my email address, sam at hoopsfix.com. Anyway, uh, that is enough from me. Here is this week's show with Olu Babalola. Olu, welcome to the show. Appreciate you having me, man. Uh, no, it's an absolute honour. Like I've, I've, I've wanted to talk to you for a little while. Someone actually suggested that I have you on uh, recently, and then I saw you pop up on Instagram um, last week because of that clip that I posted, and you were in the crowd. So I was like, "This is this seems like the perfect time." So I'll drop you a message and and see where we can make it happen. Uh, obviously, just just before we kind of delve into all the basketball stuff, I've seen you know since since the basketball, you're you're doing your own thing uh, on the side now. Um, this uh, chicken wings, wing kings. Can you kind of tell us kind of what, what that's been like and sort of that transition from from basketball into into the business world? Yeah, well, I was lucky enough to <clears throat> do it as I was leaving basketball. So it wasn't like like I found it towards the end of my basketball. So I found that I think if you look at a lot of players, they don't have that luxury as they, they stay in the game for so long because they don't know what to do next. Um, I was blessed to find this. This fell in my lap. And now it's just been full focus on that. And believe it or not, it's this pandemic that's made it really take off. Oh really? Um, I was going to say I, I thought that might have actually been a big, a big uh, hit on it, but no, it's, it's. Yeah, well, it was like the first. What? So I lost my job. So because I was working, um, I was in a pub. The pub hired me to take over their kitchen. Um, I didn't like the idea because before that I was working for myself, but then the guy that owned the pub saw what I was doing and saw the amount of people that was coming daily, and so he hired me under contract, so I had like a set wage each month, 
Um, but it was pretty much his menu with my tweaks. Um, so I was just on a set wage each month and I just felt like I hit a, a, a ceiling. Like I couldn't do anything. I couldn't, I was just limited. Then the pandemic hit. I remember Clary's Day was Friday where they announced everything was getting locked down. And that was it. I never heard from that guy ever again. Wow. <laughs> so, um, I mean, the first week I was, I've got kids and I got people to, you know what I mean, take care of. So the first week I was, I mean, I was bugging out. What am I going to do? Where can I go? I can't work anywhere. I can't. You know what I mean? And then um, I noticed a lot of people in Sheffield, that this, this is a big uh, street food city. So a lot of people that have street food trailers in there, as me, as I do, started cooking from their own home. So I registered my own kitchen with the Sheffield City Council, and I was just delivering wings door to door. <laughs> I was cooking them in my kitchen and just taking them up. So... um. I don't know. Anything can happen. I'm going to find a way out. I'm always going to win. That's just the way I, my outlook in life. So since then, I've, I was doing that. And then I've met this other guy now who's a big foodie. And he also owns a pizza um, business. And he, I mean, that's that's a small thing. He owns, he owns a ton of stuff in the city here. But uh, he just he's just taking me on. And potentially, at the beginning of the next year, looking to open uh, the first uh, Wing Kings standalone venue. Wow, yeah, I was going to say that uh, as part of the research for this interview, I I, I looked up um, the first time I ever spoke to you was 2010 uh, when you were with GB at training camp in Cobham. So there's still yeah. an interview on, on YouTube. And funnily enough, at the end of that interview, uh, I'm asking you kind of just about some of your off-court interests. And, and there in it, you said your favorite food is chicken and mm. one of your favorite things to do is cooking. So it's kind of like, it's, it's mad that, you know, it's kind of something that you've now gone into and it's been sort of the progression after basketball. So, yeah, no, I mean, wish you all the best with it and, uh, yeah, hopefully it continues to, to, to grow. So the basketball yeah. stuff, um, yeah. let's, let's, let's rewind right back to the beginning. Uh, you know, I would love to hear kind of your early start into the game. Um, you know, from the research I've done, I think you, you first picked up a ball around the age of 14, but I'd, I'd love to kind of hear like what it was that, that made you first start playing. Yeah, man, I mean... I'm from London, so I think we've all got the same kind of story, you know, just like a struggle growing up background. The only difference with me was I went to boarding school as a kid. I'm talking a kid, kid, four or five. I was a bad kid, didn't have a dad. I was just too much for my mom. I was in trouble. I got suspended like six times. Like I expelled at least five times from the same school. And I remember my mom taking me back. And I could just remember her saying, look, he has to come because I got to work. <laughs> and there's no one to look after him. So he's just got, and they will take me back. And I remember the last time it happened, they were just like, look, this kid's got issues. He needs to go, he can't, he needs help. So I was off to boarding school. Um, so I didn't have the luxuries of, I don't know, finding sports. You know, this is the UK, so it's just football and that's it. So um, I played football growing up as a kid. And then I left that boarding school when I was tw 11, 12. And then I loved it so much. I wanted to go to another one. So I went to another boarding school. I think it was in Surrey, just outside of London. And it was really, really bad. It wasn't good. I got in trouble. I got attacked. It was bad. But the good thing about it was that was the first time I ever seen a, a basketball hoop in real life. So I remember uh, I used to try. I just wanted to play, like, play. But I sucked so bad. I was like, how do you get this thing in there? I don't understand how these guys are doing this. Like, it's crazy. 
So then I remember, but I was just so, like, I loved it. And then I remember watching one of these basketball videos and I seen Mark Price shoot the ball. And I seen this for the first time. I paid attention to the release and I was like, what's that? So I literally walked out of class. I went in the gym and I tried that. Six shots in a row went in. And I just thought, oh, you just gotta do this. So that was it. I was that's it. I stopped everything. I was doing karate. I was playing football for Arsenal, junior program, junior gunners. But I, I dropped everything. I told my mom, listen, this is this is it. This is what I'm doing. And she was like, whatever, just stay out the streets. You can do this. <laughs> you know. But then as I said, I got in trouble with that school. I got attacked by one of the teachers. I was asleep in my sleep. I was asleep and he just came. I was it was a bunk bed, I was in the bottom. And I, I was I woke up to just getting kicked in the head repeatedly by one of the like t- the staff members. So I woke up, beat the dog breaks off him. Then I went to the head teacher and said, listen, he's in there unconscious because I don't know what the hell happened, but he just attacked me in my sleep. Then I got suspended. My mom was on a plane at the time going to Nigeria. So you knocked out the teacher? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So um, um, my auntie had to come pick me up from school. Um, so I got suspended. So then, like, I remember my calling my mom in Nigeria, and she was like, what, what have you done now? You know what I mean, I was like, listen, mom, I was asleep. I was I was literally asleep. I wasn't doing nothing. And this guy just attacked me. So then she was like, just whatever, I'll deal with you when I get back. And then, so I was home. And then my mom came back. I, she, didn't, I thought, she didn't want me to that school because she did believe me eventually. Got arrested on this, over this. Uh, I got a charge. I got found, uh, it's called a bind over, which basically means um, the first year you have to stay out of trouble or you got to go to juvie. But I wasn't a bad kid like that. I wasn't in the streets for real, for real. So I knew I wasn't going to do anything stupid. It was fine. Um, but within that year, <laughs> sorry, I know it's a long story. Within uh-huh. that year, that's when my mom was like, look, you can't just sit around. You need to go find, do something. You have to go do something. You have to find someone to do. You can't just sit around the house. You, you do sports. Right? Just go back to this basketball thing. So then, I don't know how we found it, because there was no internet back then. But something I seen, there was some basketball going on in West London. So I went out there to play, and Tony Garbledo was coaching. Didn't know who he was. In West London? Yeah. I don't know what the hell was going on. It was, it was far. Like, when you're from where we're from, you know what I mean? East London, North London. West London is like another country to us. <laughs> yeah. So I just remember traveling so far, 14 years old. And Tony just wasn't, he didn't care. I was there. And I was just like, why is this guy like, you know what I, mean? I couldn't understand, like, I thought I was right. You know what I mean? So then uh, after it was all over, I just remember like fishing, like just trying to talk to him. And he, he wouldn't even look at me. He was just doing other stuff, whatever. And then uh, I was just like, yeah, I don't know where else I can play. And he was like, yeah, where'd you live? I told him I'm, I live in North London. And he said, how old are you? I said, 14. He stopped everything. He was like, what? I said, 14. He said, you're 14. I'm 6'5". He said, you're 14 years old. I said, yeah. He said, can you prove it? <laughs> I don't even know what that means. How do you prove your age? I, I, I mean, I got a passport back at home. I don't know. So then he pulled out a mobile phone, which also back then was like amazing. And it was a brick. And he pulled it out and he made a phone call. He said, listen, I'm sending you this kid. He's coming to you tomorrow. So um, he gave me the address. He said, make sure you go there. You have to go there tomorrow. I'm going to call. I'm going to check. All right, cool. Went home. Told mom, yeah, I think I found something, whatever, whatever. She's like, cool. Next day, went to school, finished school, took off to East London. Uh, Homerton. 
right? So I walk in there. To this day, I don't think I've ever been that intimidated in my whole life. Like, just walking into that situation. I remember walking in, and I just remember, like, it was cold. And there's a cold gym. There's an outdoor gym. You've been there? No, I've not been there, but I've heard many, many stories about it. It's part, so out, it's part outdoors, right? There's, like, part of it that's outdoors, and there's yeah, part of it. Yeah, it's an outdoor gym, a whole gym outdoors. Okay. And then it's an indoor gym, which is a lot smaller and more, like, intimate. And you walk through the cold gym, come around, and I walked in, and there was just what I, what I remember just looking like. Street guys, <laughs> just playing ball. And I'm only 14, and these kids are a lot older than me. And I'm just looking around like, yeah, what the hell? And then I looked to my right, and what looked to me looked like a, an ape or some sort of a gorilla was just sitting there with a hat on, couldn't see his eyes, dark skin. The biggest human being I've ever seen in life. Like, I'm, it wasn't even close. This guy, I didn't even know if he was human at the time. And I just remember looking at him and just thinking, damn, I'm going to die here today, man. What am I doing here? <laughs> and it was Joe. And then he said, he, just, he said, yes. And I said, Tony said, I said, uh, come <laughs> and play that shit. <laughs> and he was like, well, get ready then. Even little things like they were wearing shorts. I never wore shorts. I wore sweatpants. I'm like, why are you not got your legs out? This is, I just thought too much. I was too young. And I remember practicing. I was just like, man, God, just let me survive and go home. And I'll just find somewhere else to play. I don't want to. I don't want to go there. Because it was just intimidating, I don't know. And then, um, I don't know, it's just back then everybody was thought it was tough and screw face and just all that silly, immature, young stuff that, you know, like, boys do. So, um, yeah, I left it. Two weeks or something like that, I wasn't doing it. And then again, my mom was like, listen, you're going back. Like, I don't care. You're going back. She forced me back. And then I learned that those guys were older than me. So they're supposed to be better than me. And then Joe made me come to the class that was my age. And it was like, oh, my God. So this is the normal people. Like, this is my age group. You know? <laughs> it was cool. I was bigger than everyone. I was better than everyone. It was good. So, um, yeah, I just got started playing there for uh, Hackney, London Towers. Um, so I did, what, three, four years with them. Uh, I played all levels. So when I was that age, I played all levels except what they call now the BBL, which back then was the Budweiser League. But I used to train with them. You know, so when I was like 14, 15, 16, I was training with them. And that's what helped me the most was playing with the older guys. So like even now, my son, he plays basketball with the kids that are one year older than him. They're bigger than him. They move better than him. Um, he gets frustrated. But then when he plays against kids, he's a, he just laughs at them all. You know? yeah. So um, that's, I do that on purposely from my own experience. Then when I hit 16, I shipped off to America. So, do you think that you had a, a natural uh, ability for basketball? Like, Do you think you had a sort of raw talent, or was it something that you felt like you had to work out a lot? It was both. Um, I was tall for my age, so that helped me. Um, just being honest, I think anybody can do anything, you know? That's what I've always felt. Like, like I'm doing things now that people, I will talk about in a minute, and people are going to say, I'm, I'm doing it. I don't care. <laughs> I mean, that's just that's how I think, like... I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna be so. I'm gonna be obsessed on getting better, and that's how I was with basketball. Like <clears throat> all basketball players, like that. If you actually play the game for real, you, the love you have for it's it's crazy. You, you lose a girl for it, you won't even. It's, it's fine. You can go. Like you just become obsessed. That's why that whole ball of life thing came like that. It's a real thing. So, like, I definitely did have a natural ability, but. It was just more, I was just obsessed with getting better. I worked every single day. In the summertime, Joe used to say, 
the best players get better in the summertime. So when everyone was running around chasing girls in the summer, I was in the gym with Joe, doing drills, learning, working out how to jump higher and all these, sorry, all these things like that. So I, did, I had that from here. Then I went to America and I played in like the highest level in university where there's no time for nothing. There's barely time for you, like schoolwork even, you know. It's just bore, bore, and it's militant. So I, I would say I would probably split it 50, 50 down the middle was ability as well as just hard work, you know. And also, it's like I ended up messaging a bunch of different people to kind of get some get some stories to bring up with you and and uh, sort of their own memories. Mm. And, you know, the thing that people just say is just you were, you were just an absolute man child. You know, like to be. I think you know you ended up by the time obviously you were a young man, you know, six six two sixty. You're talking sort of LeBron's size. Um, but you know, where do you think that come from? Were you eating ridiculous amount of food? Like, was it just a was it just a, a God given uh, physical attributes? Like, kind of yeah, I feel like that is one of the the biggest things that that people always say was just the, the physicalness. You know, bullying people. <laughs> Let me tell you something, right? People don't notice. I didn't notice till I got to high school. I thought I was two sixty. I remember um, going. Then I went to. We had a physical at the beginning of the school year. I was telling everyone I was two thirty. I don't know where I got that number from. And I went to school with Drew Sullivan. And he used to say, you're not 230. Stop saying that. I'm, like, I'm 230. I don't so anyway, I went to do my physical with my coach. And we had to go to the doctors. 16 years old. 17, sorry. Stepped on a scale. You ready? 296. What? 17, right? My coach, right, was so happy. He was so, like, proud. Like, <laughs> Get off the scale. Get on the game. I did like five times. 296, 17 years old. 9% body fat, right? So I was even bigger than, like, scale-wise, I was even bigger than everybody thought. Um, but even when I saw that, I got a bit nervous. I'm 270 now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so I was bigger then. Yeah, yeah. But, but were, yeah, you lift, were you even lifting weights? No, nah, never. <laughs> <laughs> even now, no. I don't. I, I've never liked it. Even for my whole career. Like, it I can say this now because I'm done. Like, when we used to go to the weight room, if anybody's seen this, any coach, sorry, be honest. As soon as they they're gone, two minutes, I went that way. I was out of there. <laughs> like, not staying there. I'm not trying to do this. I can't be bothered. I don't care. Like, I've just always, I'm naturally, I'm built like my dad. My dad's short, though. But he's ripped to shreds, even now, still as an 80 year old man. Um, I'm not as muscular defined as my dad but I'm twice his size and it's just weird like my mom, my dad's 5'7 my mom's 5'6 I can't explain it I'm 6'6 six, six. <laughs> you know I mean? like, unbelievable yeah because even in, in that interview in uh, in 2010 it was the same thing because I said oh you know clearly you're a big guy like and I remember you said something along the lines of oh you know I don't really I don't really train type thing like I'm not like big on weights but and then I said oh well who's the strongest on the team you're like I'm the strongest on the team like no doubt no doubt yeah, I, I, can't remember, I remember the interview. I remember, the, I remember that day, actually. Yeah, of course. I'm, I'll be the strongest now. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, Unbelievable. I, I, one guy that I can know for sure in my career that was stronger than me, John Barber, in the weight room. He, but he lived, he, I think right now, he, that's what he does for a living. It's, I think he's a personal trainer. And you can see he lives the life of, you know, yeah. not me. I mean, I eat, I don't eat crazy, but I, I'm just always going to, like, I'm just a big guy. It's just what it is. Like, it's just it's just natural. Wow. It's, it's, <laughs> so, so those early experiences in the game, like, you know, we hear obviously so much about um, the impact that, that 
you know the great late Joe White had on you know a whole generation of players, particularly particularly you know that group that that you were involved with. Uh, when you think back to those times, like when you were young, kind of before you before you left and you were still playing in the UK, like what were the biggest sort of the standout memories, the biggest lessons that you took from him that you think you've sort of carried forward in your life? You know, right? I can't even talk about Joe too much because it's, it's still hard. I, it's still something that none of us are over, and it's it's really like it's hard. It, I, in my opinion, I, I don't, I won't say it killed basketball in this country, but it definitely stabbed like like a knife through the heart of the sport. Like I've learned more from him about how to be a man and raise my own kids than I have about anything with basketball. You know, my son is named Joseph. You know what I mean, I didn't even ask for that. His mother did that. Like he Joe's it wasn't about basketball. Like you could do anything. You could go home. You could get in so much trouble at home and you'd be so scared of Joe. Because my mom used to call Joe all the time. And he, I was too much to deal with. So like I'd be scared to go to practice. And he was never mad at me. He just understood, but he just told me what I was doing wrong. And he had a way of like explaining things to you. To make you just feel like, Yo, why are you on Why did you do that? One time I slapped the kid on the court. He pushed me and I, he didn't even push me, sorry. He said something. I was, I don't know, I, I just slapped him. I just remember slapping him. And then I got a technical, took it off. And I ejected, sorry. And then uh, Joe was, he just said, why did you do that? And I said, because he said, your mama or something. And he just said, I never, ever hit anybody, ever, in my career. He said, one time somebody pissed me off. I dunked on him and I broke his arm. But I never hit anybody. And I just thought, why the, it just made you feel like, oh, I just let, I've let Joe down, you know what I mean? Like, everything I learned from him was more off the court, obviously on the court too. I mean, he developed me and everything, and I give him all the degrees, the praise, sorry, but it was more about how to move around, how to be, like, grow into a man. And, like, even things like he never listened to rap. He used to always listen to R&B, and we used to be on the bus, and everyone's playing gangster rap, and he's just like, that's why you men are so mad. <laughs> like... You need to listen to something smooth. I mean, he just he'd, he'd give you two songs and then turn it off. So he'd turn it off, and he'd put on Jodeci or something. You know what I mean? Like, just he was just a different, different guy. So I think I just learned how to become a man. You know what I mean? Like, get yeah. rid of all the boy anger and emotion, screw face, looking at people you don't know in an angry way just because they like just all that silly stuff. He wasn't into none of that, and just I'm trying to manifest that in my son now. You know, like. What do you think it was about him that, uh, you know, we hear like, I've spoken to Pops, spoken to Drew about him and there's this kind of recurring theme of like, he was the one that everyone wanted to make proud. He was the one whose approval everyone was seeking, you know, like, what was it about him that uh, do you think made players that played for him feel that way? I don't know. I can't, you can't, he just had an aura, you know, it was just something about him. And that's, that's very true as far as everybody wanted to make him proud. One time, I remember I had a dunk in a game, which for me, it was just, I didn't think it was nothing crazy, but I remember the whole gym going nuts. And Joe never used to react. But on this one, Joe reacted. I didn't see it though, because I didn't, I just, it was just a regular dunk to me. Might have been a putback. I don't even remember. And then I remember going back home after that game with my best friend who was on the team. And he was like, You didn't see Joe when you dunk? I said, No. And he, he said, Joe, And I was like, Really? And he was like, Yeah, I've never seen Joe get hyped like that for any of us. Like, and I was, I'm now damn near 40 years old. I hold that still. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm so happy for that. Like, it was just his energy, his aura. And pe- you could see it. As soon as we walked into the gym, people would just stare. You know what I mean? Like, at us. But it was really, like, we were like his little kids. And he was like, 
the male lion, like the leader, you know, the pet, you know, like he just had an energy about him, you know, and that was with him even when he's sick days. Like I remember, um, as I said, he was huge. And I remember when I first heard the news, that same guy I was just talking about, he's the one that told me when I was in America, he said, you heard about Joe? I said, no, he said, you're going to be sick. So I'm thinking, well, flu, like, what's going on? He's like, no, nah, you need to call him. Hung up, caught him straight away. He's like, yeah. He said, cancer. He said, but you know me, I'm a fire, I'm going to beat it. So whatever Joe says goes, I wasn't worried. He said, he's going to beat it. So what are you worried about? It's fine. I did that year in America, in uni. I remember coming back, going to see him. And he was wearing the same clothes, but he was half the size. So I remember, like, asking one of my guys, oh, where's Joe? He said, he's over there, he pointed. Looked at him, I just started crying. Because he was just nothing. He just wasted away. But he still had that aura. And his eyes, he had like a, like a, like a, I can't even explain it. It was crazy. There was just something about him. And that just made you want to, like, you just wanted to make him proud and be happy. That's all you wanted to, you know what I mean? And he never would say, Oh, I'm proud of you or nothing, but he, you just feel it. You feel it. He looked after me like a son. If I needed five pounds, I'd ask for, if I needed 20 pounds, I'd ask for five. No, I'm going to get 20. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he would say, take it home. Or he would say, go get, give your mom 10 pounds for gas. So he just took care of me, you know? So like, to this day, it's the biggest loss of my life. I've never lost that big. And I've lost family members. I've lost my grandmother. I've lost all sorts. I love them all. But the one that hurts me the most, the one that I'm, struggling to deal with is him you know so mm -hmm. it was just tough it was a tough time and i think basketball diminished with it with him, with him passing yeah for sure when you talk about the players that were on that team that early london towers team with you at that mm. time um who were who were the players let's kind of give some context to people about kind of who you were playing with and kind of what the state of junior basketball was like uh in that period and how i guess dominant that towers program was yeah um, see, the thing is, a lot, of, most of the players, guys won't even know. But so, but that doesn't mean that they were better than me. <laughs> All these guys were legit. I was lucky to be around. Him. I mean, you, you've got your pupses, pups. You know, like even then, like not just pups is my brother. Pups, I love pups. We went to high school together, but he was younger than me. So like, people didn't even know him then. Like then we were kids, you know? and he was tiny. Pups grew. He, I think he grew two foot in two weeks or something. It's something crazy. So, like, he was just, he was a tiny little, his brother, Kojo, people won't know him, I bet, but, like, his brother was the basketball guy of the family before Pups, when Pups was just a kid. So, like, I remember Pups coming in the gym. I, th I mean, he, he looked like he was five. He was a tiny little kid. So, like, people weren't really focused on people like Pups because he was so young. Whereas you had your Drew Sullivan, who was, he was 16, and he was playing in, like, the the Budweiser League with the men that I couldn't play on. You know what I mean? Like it was just it, it, Drew had billboards in London in the city before he was seventeen years old. Like he was a a mega star. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you had people like that. Um, I mean, I could go through a whole list of names: Steve over Jimmy, Patrick. There's just so all these guys that to this day I look up to. To this, they, they've not probably not touched the ball in 10, 15 years, but look up to these guys. You know, um, and in saying that. Obviously, I'm all about Joe and that, but it's also a lot of respect to the Brixton guys over there with Jimmy, rest in peace, because he was their Joe. And I used to go over to that side of town every now and then and just, I don't know, just snoop around and just, I don't know, I just wanted to just see what's going on over here and stick my chest out. Like, yeah, what, heck me, boy, man. Well, you can't do nothing to me. You know what I mean? And Jimmy always accepted me and he's always joking around. And, you know what I mean? So I think those two life losses in basketball, 
it's 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 really horrible. You know? But yeah, just as far as names, it was just more, even I guess now I'm like even Matthew NBA. I didn't know who he was until he was in America and making a name for himself. But when he was playing over here, I didn't. I, I was in America, so I didn't really know what was going on with him. But these are the that, that's the name that people will know now. But when I was coming up, I didn't know him. Oh, as far as Brixton, they had Deng, uh, Luau, and that. Adju again, Luau wasn't the man. It was Adju. <laughs> he was his older brother, and then Luau took off. You know, um, I played against him in university, uh, Luau. So um, I guess those are some of the names I would throw out as far as um, people that I was playing against them. So your your move to the states, um, I've read that. Uh, it was after a tournament in Iceland that you played yeah. in that that sort of a load of high schools ended up sort of coming trying to recruit you. Kind of what what happened with that? Yeah. Um, so Joe had a connect with this other guy called Rich Marcucci, who used to run a basketball camp in New Jersey called Atlanta Kid Camps. So Rich Marcucci, he set up this thing where he got a whole bunch of high school players in America together, it's kind of like an all star team, to play in a tournament in Iceland. So. He set that up, and the whole coaching staff were different head coaches from different high schools. Um, so I think they just wanted to see me play before I got to America. But um, it wasn't just to see how I was. So I remember getting to playing. Uh, he picked me up from the airport. And then, uh, yeah, I just played on the team. I didn't start. Um, it was intimidating because obviously it's like, oh, back then, oh, the Americans, isn't it? Like, basketball's their thing. You know, so you figure like they're going to be the best, and you're just going to try to fit in. But um, yeah, man, the first game I killed that game, and I remember uh, Marcucci looked at me and he said, "You're going to be the number two player in the state of New Jersey." And I'm thinking, "Number two? I'm coming to be number one." What's he talking about? He always says, "No, like, I'm gonna." I said, "Who's number one?" And he's like, "Don't, don't, don't worry. We're good with number two. Trust me." <laughs> so then, uh, yeah, that was how that started, and then I got out there. Who was number one? Getting to you. So then I got out there. I think I know who it was, but go on. You know who it is. <laughs> so, um, bearing in mind, Drew's at the school. So when he said number two player, he's talking about my year. I mean, not the whole, you know, just my year. Drew is at the same high school. He's a senior. I'm, this is my first year. I'm a, I go there as a sophomore, and we scrimmaged this team. For the first game of the season, it was the first scrimmage, Camden High School. And this is the number one guy, Dewan Wagner. And to this day, after I'm done with basketball, I've never seen anybody like that. I've never seen anybody with the confidence and the skill to shoot from literally. He was doing uh, what Steph Curry does now. He was doing that in the 90s. He was the first to ever do it. <laughs> like, he, he, I just, I'm playing against him, and I was just like, okay, yeah, he's, he's, I'll do number two. So I, I stay, I'll stay at two because I can't do what he's doing. Alan Iverson was at his games. Like, but yeah. he, was, he, was, he was unbelievable. He is still the New Jersey legend to this day, isn't he, really? His, his son, Junior, is the number one player in the state now. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, his dad, Milt Wagner, was, had, the, number, had uh, the most points in high school in New Jersey. Then Duan took that, and now his son's about to take that. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. So how did you find that, the, the transition from, from the UK to the US? Do you remember kind of what it was like on the court, whether there was big differences in athleticism or things that kind of stuck out to you? Yeah, basketball, it was easy for me over there. Like, again, I remember going over there thinking, oh my God, it's going to be crazy. Everyone's NBA. It's not like that. I, Drew was killing over there. Like, Drew Drew took us to the state finals. We won the state finals, and we shouldn't have won that game. We played, what's the same? 
St. Pat's, St. Patrick's. And they was number four in America. We wasn't even ranked. We beat them. And I drew single-handedly won that game. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Like, we killed them. He, he killed them. Um, Wasn't there, was there legitimate talk at that time of Drew potentially going straight to the NBA from high school? People are not, this is what I'm trying to say. Because even through my career, and I'm trying to tell them how good Drew was, and because they didn't see what he was when he was a kid, like, he was the best player I'd seen before I went to high school. It's not even a question. I could, uh, no, names, okay. We played, a, there's a tournament. It was the top 55 players in Europe. Drew got in there, I got in there. One or two of the Brixton players got in there. Everyone else was from Europe. And Drew got MVP in that camp. Tony Parker was in that camp. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Drew was, he was the guy, right? When he was in high school, and he was just doing stuff that no one could do. Like, his level of, of uh, athleticism, how high he could jump, his knowledge of the game, which if you ask him, he'll tell you came from Joe. Like, he was just on a different level. He was Joe on the court to me. Like, he was someone that, I had to keep this guy impressed. I had to make sure that I wasn't... Like, playing with him was like, kept me on my toes. He was the guy. He was so good. I can't express it. Like, in my eyes, I don't... I'm not saying he went to the wrong university. I'm not saying that. Because... But maybe if he went somewhere else, just maybe better for him. I don't know what happened. It's just once he got to Nova, and the same thing happened to me once I got to Clemson, basketball changes, things turn out different. And it doesn't necessarily go the way you plan it to go. But then you see, as soon as he came out of uni and he turned pro again, he was Drew again. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I remember, like, I used to go watch him in university. And I just like, shoot the ball, shoot the ball. Like, shoot that. Take, and he wouldn't. And I'm like, why is he not taking that shot? And then I go to Clemson and the exact same thing happened to me. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, he was Drew's I, forever. I would say he's the, he's he's the guy. He's Joe's number one. If you ask me, I don't know who number two or three is. I know he's number one, and I don't think anybody can debate that. You know, like yeah, the um, the kind of yeah. It, it seems like when he went went when he went to Villanova, there was a whole thing about kind of uh, it was like he got pigeonholed into being the defensive stopper, and that was kind of their focus of trying to make him that. And it was obviously took away from his from his from his offensive game, which yeah, like you're saying. It feels like the same thing happened with you at Clemson, where you know, you know, multiple people have said to me that you were arguably one of the best defenders in the ACC uh, for the time that you were there. Obviously, a three-year starter. What do you think it is about college basketball that that kind of, uh, I guess, puts a stranglehold on players like that? Is it literally about being in the right situation for where you're trying to get to, like having a level of freedom if that's what you need? Um, kind of, why do you think that has happened? Uh, yeah, it's all it's all the above. Um, it's definitely finding the right situation. But as a kid, how are you supposed to know what the right situation is? You know, you've got. I had pretty much every school in America recruiting me. To this day, I've got over a thousand recruitment letters in America. Like, you don't know what to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, everybody wants you every single day. You got letters. You got phone calls. They're coming to visit you. They're sneaking money in your pocket. Like all sorts of things are happening. You don't know what to do. So you just figure whoever's giving me the most love, I'm going to go there. But what you don't know is they're recruiting the best players in America. So when you get there, you're seeing somebody who can score 50 points in two minutes if they, if need be. So for me, I don't know why... why I, I, I do remember when I used to go watch Drew at those games at Nova, they definitely geared him to be the defensive stopper, for sure. Me, I became that because I chose to because I wasn't getting minutes. So my freshman year, after being like just laid the red carpet and 
they did all sorts for me. And then I get there, and then I remember the first scrimmage, a uh, preseason game. I don't get in the game until like the last like t- two minutes or something. And we're winning by 20 the whole time. And I'm like, what's going on? Like, why? Because I'm doing my thing in practice. So then I just thought, well, if I'm the best defender on the team, they're going to have to play me. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's what, that's what my, I became a lockdown defender in uni, not high school. And that's why I didn't need to. Um, I just became a lockdown defender because I wasn't getting minutes. And that didn't work. I still wasn't getting minutes my freshman year. But I just kept that mentality. And also, I don't like people scoring on me. I, I get embarrassed by it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm not one of these guys that you score on me and I just go down there, I'm going to score back. No, no, you're not going to score. That's just how, that's my mentality. And I've kept it. So um, it's all about, yeah, timing. And things like, that. like, if I went to a different school in that same conference when I was in uni, I would have been named, I would have been on an all defensive team. Because all these guys, not one of them, I'm not bragging, but I'm just being honest. Like, none of these guys could score on me. All these guys that went off into the NBA, they couldn't score on me. Nobody. Give us some oh. of the names of the players that you were guarding. I don't like, I'll go there, whatever. <laughs> Chris Paul, he couldn't, he killed us, don't get me wrong. But when I was guarding them, couldn't score on me. Uh, the North Carolina team that my last year, they was all. I remember they had potentially nine NBA lottery picks. Lottery picks, not first rounders, lottery picks. Um, and I've said that I've been public with this. There's only one time a guy ever like scored. He killed me. Uh, Rashad McCants, who ended up playing for the Minnesota, I think. Um, he gave me work one game, 34 points to be precise. And it was pretty much all on me. And it was at North Carolina. And I, I didn't sleep for a month. I, I was, I almost cried about that. I remember that. But we played them twice because it was the same conference. So I remember I I need get back. That was the first time I thought, not even just defensively, but I have to score. I have to score this game. And then we, they came to Clemson and we beat them. I think I had like 19 and I held them to single digits. But like, yeah, him, Chris Paul, um, Steve Blake, these guys, like, and they're all smaller guys as well. And that's the thing is, they see me guarding them, and they think, oh, I'm, uh, I'm good. You know what I mean? My feet are quicker than theirs. I'm, I'm faster than them. You're not going to bully me. What are you going to do? <laughs> like, so, like, that's just the natural ability that, I don't know. I don't It's just like my size is just weird. I've just got quick feet. I don't know why or how. And I still got them now. I still got my quick feet today. We'll go into all the Clemson stuff in a bit more detail. But before we do, I just want to jump back to high school. So, the mad thing is, like, yeah, not only did you, you obviously played with Drew Sullivan uh, in your sophomore year, your first year out there, but of course yeah. you also ended up playing with Pops as well. Like, how, yeah. how crazy was it for you to be so far away from home, but then still have these these home links with, with you know, with two guys that, you know, have come from the same area that you've come from, come from the same program that you've come from, and now you're you're all sort of pursuing your dreams uh, in the States? It meant everything for me, man. It meant everything. Like, I, I don't know what I'd have did if Drew wasn't there that first year. I would have really struggled because it was like going into, like... You're blind. You don't know what you're doing, where you're going. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I met the nicest people in the world to this day that I consider family. My host family that I live with, I love them like my own mum and dad and brother and sister. Like that. I really, I met the nicest people. I was so lucky and blessed because you do hear a lot of guys coming from London, go to America. Six months, they're back. Can't do it. It's bad. Living rough. I was in the suburbs with people with a lot of money and they care for me. But, I needed somebody to, who was from where I'm from. And that's what Drew was for me. 
So then he left, and then my senior year, I remember going into my senior year, that was, so when I seen Pops that summer, I didn't know who he was. I didn't recognize him, so. Because the last time I saw Pops, he was about five foot four. <laughs> so then I remember him saying what's up to me at the camp, and I just was like, oh, what's up? And I walked off. And he's like, damn, you're going to do man's like that. So I had to look at him. But he's six, eight-ish, six, nine, taller than me now. So I'm like, Pops. <laughs> like, nah. He's like, yeah. Way taller than me. I couldn't believe it. But this big. Right, <laughs> like, like, like uh, uh, so skinny. So he was in the air. He wasn't necessarily coming to my school, but I remember I recruited him. <laughs> like, listen, we're gonna win the states. You need to come here. And he was thinking he was at the Hunt or something. Yeah, North Jersey. And he wasn't enjoying his experience. I think he was thinking about going to Blair, where Luau went. I think. But I just remember talking to him, talking to him, like, yo, you got to come here. Man, you know what I mean? Man from Enzo, I know the area. I can show you around. These people are rich. They take care of us. Everything just threw it in. And then, yeah, he came. And in Jersey, I think when you transfer, like, you have to sit the first 30 days of the season. I had to do it. Puff had to do it as well. Um, and I just watched him grow. Like, he didn't even start back then because, you know, the transfer situation and then the sitting and then you had to get acclimated. But he's the quickest bloomer of any any of us. Like he went from being a decent player to what he is overnight. Like I don't know what happened with him. He just he, he high school he had a good high school career, but you would never think he was going to be who he ended up to be until he went to university. You know, and that's the situation I'm talking about. Like I went to the highest highest level. He went to the level just beneath that. He killed and created an opportunity for himself. When I was in high school, they told me don't go to the highest, highest level. Go to the same level as about as the pups did and kill. But I wasn't trying to hear that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm not saying I would have been able to kill. I don't know. We will never know. But that's the thing is you have to you really have to go into the right opportunity to get these looks. Yeah. I, I spoke to, to Pops briefly last night saying that I was gonna be chatting with you. Ooh. And uh, I asked for any any things that I should bring up with you. <laughs> I'm pretty laughed because I know he's an idiot. <laughs> He said, "Ask him about the Seven Eleven at one at one a.m. with me in Jersey." I already knew that was what it was going to be. He's lucky I was there because Pops lost his mind. It was a Seven Eleven, right? I don't even remember what happened, but okay, this is what happened. We used to like to get the Slurpees, right? This is stupid, but I love him. So I want to use the big, big, big cup. But you ain't allowed to use the... That's for sodas only, right? So I used to put the Slurpee in there, but I put the lid on and hope he don't see it's a, it's a Slurpee. <laughs> right? Pops did the same thing. So the dude's kicking up. No, no. You see, no, no. You have to soda. No, no, no Slurpee. So I'm like, listen, just give us the freaking drink. It's all right. We'll pay. You know what I mean? Then he just got real racist with it. And he just said something, N-word, something, something. And I've already committed to Clemson at the time. So I'm thinking, boy, I, I ain't trying to lose my scholarship. Poppy's only a junior. He can fix it. I can't fix this. So <laughs> Pops kicks off. But he's so skinny. So I'm holding him one arm and just relax. And he's going, no, what you call me? What you call me? Bear in mind, we're from London. We're London boys. You know what I mean? And he's kicking off. And I drove. So I'm going to just grab him and walk on it. And he was trying to smash the window, like the whole... Like the whole thing, like the, thing, the whole front, you know what I mean? It was crazy. I remember just getting in the car. And, oh, you call It's okay, but listen, if I go to the NBA, this is what I'm, don't worry about this silly stuff. Like, 
We'll be all right. We'll get him on the rich. <laughs> hey. Well, yeah, that was funny, man. Oh, that that's amazing. Was amazing story. Um, so when it when it came to uh, you know, obviously, yeah, like massively esteemed high school career. You know, won a couple of state titles. Uh, you know, you were named all state a couple couple years as well, right? Obviously, yeah. a, fa- a thousand plus point scorer. You had everyone recruiting you. Like I didn't realize it was quite a thousand schools. I, I, I did read an article uh, you saying that you know you had every 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 single school in the Big East that offered you. Yeah. Kind of like what was that recruitment process like? You know, for you coming from from where you've come from, and then being in a situation where you've got you know thousands of schools hitting you up, chasing you. Uh, I don't know what they were saying, but you know, trying to sell you on their program. Kind of what were your recaps of the the sort of the the recruitment process? I mean, it was it was cool. I enjoyed it, but I've, I'm a humble guy. I've always been humble, so it wasn't. Like, it never got to my head, nothing like that. I'm mad humble because of my mum. Like, my mum's just like that. My mum will always knock me down straight away. When I was a kid, my mum used to say, "I don't care who you think you are." She say, "You could be better than John Jordan." I don't, I don't care. And I'm like, "Who's John Jordan? You know his name's Michael." So why are you disrespecting this man like this? Why are you calling him John? But that's just the mentality I have. Like it doesn't matter. Like these things don't mean. You know what I mean? So it's enjoyable to have. But I think my my coach got more out of it than I did. If I think to be fair, like every morning I'd go in the class and he just who's recruiting you today, and he just put them all out, and there'd be all sorts of schools from across the whole like country, you know. And he just like because he had certain schools he loved. Like I remember I got a letter from Coach Knight, Bob Knight, and that was like his idol at the time. And I remember as soon as he he opened the letter, not me, he opened it in front of me, phone number, called them straight, hey. Looking for Coach Knight. You know what I'm like? You know, I'm one of my players, yeah? We're very interested. I'm not playing for that crazy man. I'm thinking in my head, you know what I mean? Like, but it didn't really... I think I appreciate it now, now more than as a kid. Because at the time, I was just focused on, I got to get to the NBA, I got to get to the NBA. So this is just the, the process of it, you know? What... Um... I read, uh, I saw a scan in an old newspaper article that actually you initially had had committed to Villanova. No, that's not true. Uh, um, that was a tactic that people were using to get other schools to stop recruiting me. But um, people thought I was going there. And it, common sense would say I would have gone there because Drew was there. And I was always there. I was at Nova all the time. I was in Drew's dorm. I was practicing with the team. So from the outside looking in, it looked like that was the trajectory. But do you know why that didn't happen? And I would always uh, appreciate this guy for this. They had uh, an assistant coach called Joe Jones, black dude. And he straight up said to me, we'll offer you a scholarship. He wasn't even a head coach. He said, we do want you here. But me personally, I don't think this is the right fit for you. But he said, I, we want you. We definitely want you to come. And I just remember just appreciating that. Like Things like that, you don't get things like that from these kind of people. You know? Yeah. So I was never really going to go there ever. A few things happened like that. I had a couple of schools call me saying that, oh, um, there's a rumor that you can only go, you can only take me if you take my friend. <laughs> like things like this. Like I, I don't have the arrogance to say nothing, none of these kind of things. But it was always up in there. I had no idea where I was going until literally I went to Clemson to visit. In high school, you're allowed five visits, which they pay for. So they flew me out there. I, started, I think that's the only visit I took, I think. Oh, really? I, you didn't even take your five visits? Nah, because I felt the pressure of them saying, no, oh, if you go visit there, then we're going to lose our scholarship. And then as a kid, you don't know that they're just trying to put the squeeze on you. You think, oh, I'm going to lose that opportunity for real. It's not true. Um, so I did. I went down to Clemson. 
and it was an official visit with one of my best friends today, who his older brother went to Clemson, and his older brother also played in the BBR, Tony Christie. Um, I went on a visit with his little brother Shay, and um, we both committed to the school there. He was like, "I'm going to come." I was like, "Yeah, me too." And then that was it. I went back up north, and then they did like a press conference, which I thought was crazy. You know, these Americans are so extra. I'm like, "Why are you doing a press conference for? It's just me. Like, just relax." But don't say nothing. Don't say anything to you. Sit down on cameras today. Don't say where you're going. And I remember one of the um, guys in the, the newspapers asking me outside, and I was with my coach. And I'm like, my coach is tiny. He walks like a big man. And I remember the guy was like, so "Where you going?" And the coach was like, "No, you have to come inside the press conference." And I'm like, "I'm going to Compton. <laughs> it's fine." Like, and there's a little press release for. How how uh, you know like. That initial, we know the, the freshman year was was very hard uh, for you on the court. Like, um, I did read that you were actually you were going to leave at Christmas, and it was Joe that persuaded you not to leave. No, 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 no. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Sorry, because that happened twice. So I was going to leave uh, freshman year. I was definitely out of there. I hated it. I hated it. I went through like some, I will say this. I went through depression, and I don't say that light, like mildly, especially in today's climate with all this mental health I like yes I went through depression what I experienced when I was there wasn't the experience that I got on the visit obviously you can't get that in a weekend but the level of systemic racism is insane in a place like that and you don't you can't get that on the weekend and it, I say systemic because it's not necessarily hate you also get the hate racism too but I'm used to that I can deal with that but systemic racism where people just, they don't dislike you. It's just because you're black, you're just less. And that's just what it is. It's not, that's not my fault. <laughs> that's, that's there today, 2020, that's still there. And I was experiencing that. KKK members in my class, legit, driving at night and seeing burning crosses for real. Like these things really happened and are happening today. But I didn't know they still happened then. So experiencing that, along with not getting playing time, you know, basketball to this day, even now I don't play anymore, it's the thing where I find comfort. If anything happens, when somebody passes away or something like that, I find myself on the court. I wasn't able to do that because I, I wasn't getting playing time. And then watching, practicing so hard. I remember one time we was practicing and when we played Duke, that's like when you play at Duke, you can't hear. It's so loud in it, you can't hear. And this is something that people don't understand. You need to hear the ball bounce. You need to hear it. It's something with it. When you can't hear the ball bounce, it's 10 times harder to bounce a ball. I know that sounds crazy, but just trust me. So, you, if you watch Duke. You see so many people will be dribbling the ball and they'll just turn the ball over. They don't know why. It's because they can't hear it bounce. When you hear it bounce, you know when it's coming back up. You don't hear it, you don't know. So, at practice, they used to play like... um. The thing, like, so it was just as loud of fans, like, uh, cheering to get used to the fact of what you're going to have to go through. And I remember coach saying, you're going to go, hey, this is Mike Dunleavy. Um, but it was one of us. And he said, I want you to stick on him like white on rice. Because when we play them, he's not going to... Gassed me. So I thought, oh, I'm definitely playing this game. I need to get in a game to, like, the last minute when we was down 70 or whatever. So, like, things like that, like, telling me I'm going to play and then still not playing me, like, they put me in a deep, dark space. I was lucky that I went into Clemson with four other guys. Um, we was all in the same boat. 
you know, that other guy who I went to visit, to visit with, Shay, same thing with him. And he was, out of all of us five, recruiting-wise, he was the number one. He was the main guy that possibly would potentially go to the NBA. He didn't play much. Um, he played against Duke, though. I remember he killed them freshman year. Um, but that was the good part of it was I had those guys that we were all experiencing it. Like, man, none of us are playing. We were all supposed to play. They told us we were going to be the man. Right? Um, so, yeah, I was going to leave, but then Joe was just like, you know, no. <laughs> you know what I mean? Finish the year, and then we'll see. But you're not just going to leave him now because it's a bit hard for you. <laughs> like, um, and also that was when he felt sick. So I wasn't I wasn't missing. I wasn't going to do any of that anyway. So. And then, and then, what essentially what changed was you had two of the two of the seniors left, right? Uh, was it Tony and and Dwan or yeah? Uh, and that opened up a lot of minutes at the uh, sort of the forward spot for you to to play. You done your research, bro? <laughs> of course. Yeah. No, yeah, Tony and Dwan, they weren't seniors; they were a year above us. So when we were freshmen, they were sophomores. Ah, okay. Tony was starting already. Tony was. He was, I've never, like, he, he could shoot the ball like no other. It was insane. Like, I remember he had 28 at half against North Carolina. Like, he could shoot the ball. So, Tony was the two. Dewan was the three. Shea was the two. I was the three. Them two left after their sophomore year, our freshman year. So, me and Shea were really saying we're out of here after this first year. Yeah? And then they left. And me and Shea were still like, look, we're gone. But because they left, Clemson needed us more than ever because they were gone and we were like, they had no one else. So they did a lot to keep us. I'm not going to, you know what I mean? They did a lot. <laughs> they did a lot. I was getting lots of visits. I was able to, I was able to go eat nice food at places that I couldn't afford before. <laughs> I mean, like, they did a lot. I remember that. I remember a coach. I remember one of the, I mean, I don't care I'm saying. One of the coaches came to my house in the summertime out the blue, he just called me. Hey, you alright? Yeah, I'm in Jersey. You were... What do you mean you're in Jersey? Why are you in Jersey? You got no reason being in Jersey. He put him to the house, and he just gave me a bag. Like I had a good summer. <laughs> I mean, so I was like, nah, I ain't going. I'm staying. I'm staying. Plus, I knew I was gonna start. I went from not getting any minutes to starting. That was the most important thing. So I'm gonna start at this school, which is in the best conference in America. In my head, I'm thinking if I start and I play well, and we start winning. Because we was at the bottom of the league. If I we can climb the ladders and be at the top of the league, and I'm starting, surely I have to get a look in the NBA. That's what I'm thinking. So I definitely, I did start, I played well. Um, and we did climb. But we never made, I mean, we wasn't getting past the Carolinas and the Dukes and the Mountain. We'd beat them, but we wasn't going to ever be better than them. So, How confident were you at that point that you could make the NBA? I had no doubt. I just needed the opportunity. That's the way I seen it. Because I was looking at guys that I was killing. Go. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I was looking at guys that were the same size as me, knowing near the ability as me. Go in. Get in. So, and then on top of that, I'm guarding the best player on every team, and they can't score him. So I'm like, I'm going to go. Like, I know they don't know who I am now, but when I'm a senior, they'll not. And they did. But I still could feel like, oh, this isn't going to happen. So I thought, okay, well, I need to start going to like these NBA workouts. So I started doing that. I worked out for five or six NBA teams. And even then, you get the vibe of you're just there to make numbers up. They're not, they don't really care about you. <laughs> They're there to see this other guy. And I, I thought, okay, well, I was shown. But it, just didn't, it didn't happen. So if I'm honest, I've only just started watching the NBA. 
I was mad at the NBA, and I, I never watched it. The only time I watched it was when Pops was playing or something, and as soon as he came out the game, I turned it off. I don't want to see this. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've only made my peace with the NBA, like, literally, like, two years now. I've been watching it. <laughs> wow. I think I think Pops had a similar thing where after he got cut and he was in... Uh, what was he in Italy? I think uh, initially, and he said he refused to wear any of his, you know, NBA merchandise or anything because he was just so mad about the whole the whole situation. Um, so yeah, like after after that tough fre- freshman year, you know, you essentially were a three year starter. Uh, yeah. You know, had a very solid career. Like um, actually, you know, I knew obviously I, kn- I knew you played at Clemson, but it wasn't until I did the research for this I realised that actually, like your career was way better than I than I thought it was. Um, yeah. What were the stand? What are the standout sort of uh, college games memories uh, that come to mind when you think about sort of uh, your highlights at Clemson? Uh, there's one that, if anybody knows my situation and knows what I'm, there's one that was by far the most. I mean, to stand out. But and I'll tell you that one last. But like, there's a few. I remember. <laughs> Shane's gonna watch this. I'm, I'm, we're gonna talk about it. There was one um, we played U- UVA Virginia. And me and Shay played amazing. And I just remember, like, uh... sorry, I didn't play amazing. I scored the last two free throws to win the game. Shay played amazing. <laughs> That's what happened. And I just remember just the attention and the love we were getting from the fans, just me and Shay. Like, they was just loving us. And I remember dudes offering us to buy us food and just, like, all sorts. And I remember Shay just soaking it up. Like, you know, we just were loving the attention. Like, yo, they bought us fries. They bought us wings. Like, just, they just took care of us because of basketball. Like, for me, I'm from London. I'm like, this is insane. You Americans really love this like this. You know what I mean? So there's that. But there's a bunch. Um, there's a bunch. But the main, the number one, for sure, everybody that knows me knows. So, as I said, it was the toughest conference in America. That's not that's not up for debate. That's a fact. Every team in the ACC was top twenty-five in America. So we never made it to the NCAA tournament. But there's qualifications. There's things you have to do. I forget what it was. It was like if you finish 50 percent, then you're going to get into at least the NIT. And so we was playing Virginia Tech. It was on senior night. So in America, they have a senior night, which is the last home game of the season. Your family comes and they give you your jersey in a glass. It was a senior night. Me and Shay had transferred out. Um, so me, my man, Steve, and Sherrod, we were the only seniors left on the team. And my sister came out and they gave me the jersey and uh, everybody, whatever. So that game, if we won that game, we qualify for the tournament. So... It was a close game the whole way. There's a clip of it. I put it on my Instagram, actually. So I was always, I was a streaky shooter. Like, is it going to go in or it's going to airball and it's in the middle, 50-50? I shoot airballs, I don't even care. So, you know, it's nothing to me. Like, but if we need a bucket, if I shoot it, it's probably going to go in, right? There was a stat that was like, if there's less than five seconds on the shot clock, I, my focal percentage was 97%. percent This is a stat. This is a fact, right? And people used to even think, like, when the shot clock was going down, they would double-team me because they, I would get, I'm shooting the ball now. <laughs> and so, like, there were many times I would take a three and the crowd would be like, no, 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 no. It's going in. I'm like, don't worry. I'm, I'm, I, we need this. I'll get it now. If we need it, I'll get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's how my whole career was. So, anyway, against Virginia Tech, so we're down by three. We get the ball, we get it still. It's like 17 seconds or something like that. 
I'll pull up for a three, which I know if I don't make this, I'm in, tr- coach, I'm in trouble for sure. But I know I'm going to make it because we need it, right? So we hit the three. I hit the three. Tie the game. They come back down with like less than seven seconds. We get a steal. Bring it back. Then my man, the other senior. So this is senior night. I hit the three to tie it. My man, Sherrod, dunks the ball on the buzzer. Win the game. The crowd storms the court. I'm talking a whole crowd. Like, I'm lost in the crowd. And that put us into the tournament. It was tournament eligible after that. That's what so, dreams are made of, man. I've seen that yeah, clip. I actually watched it I'm before this. Unbelievable. After, yeah. I'd have to... And my yeah. sister was out there too. My sister was there. She'd never experienced anything like that. Like, over here, all we got is football. You know I mean, she'd never seen anything indoors with 20,000 people and all streaming. And back then, like, anytime I'd sub in the game or anything, the whole crowd, looooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooooo
but not like the football players. They was getting a pair of shoes a day, different track shoe every day. Like one guy wouldn't wear the same pair of socks. He'd get Nike socks every single day too. One for practice, one for the day. Like they was just living different with gloves and everything. And I remember my basketball team was like, hey, give me some football gloves. Well, what for? You can do them. I need them for the weight room. Like just things like that. So yeah, I remember the first practice, it was hard. It was easy as far as ability, but just learning the game of football, it's you know you can't just pick it up like that, you know. Um, these guys that are American, they've been playing football since they were kids, you know. I never played football a day in my life. So the ability wise was nothing. I was fast, I was big, I was strong, I could catch the ball. But just learning the game and learning the plays and people think football players are dumb. Like they speak a different language to us when it comes to football. Like remember it's like a hundred plays to remember. They remember all of them. It's crazy. So I remember the first day of practice, it was freezing and I practiced. And I was, it was a bit weird because one of the kids got laid out, broke his ribs, threw the ball, caught it, extended, and then one of the linemen just came and cracked him. He was on the floor unconscious. He was out. And he was laughing. And I was just like, this is insane. Like, why are you laughing? It's your teammate. And I remember one of the football players saying, listen, I love these guys, but once we cross that fence, I'm here for blood. Like, Practice. <laughs> I mean, so I just remember like that, and then I remember after that practice, this made me a bit uncomfortable. There was about ten media people there, all wanted to see me, like what, like me, like this super, this this future NFL players on the team, and then they see me, and they all pulled me out of everyone, and I didn't like that because I'm like, this is too much attention for me. These guys deserve the attention. And it was just, oh, how'd you like it? What are you going to do? Are you going to play? And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll stick with it. It, was, it, came, it wasn't that bad for me at all. Um, and then what happened was, so I was playing defense. And that's when I learned that if you play defense, you can't never score. This is boring. <laughs> and so I'm telling coach, listen, I, get, I need to get some buckets. Like, I need to, you know what I mean? I'm trying to see the, the, the touchdown and all that. I need to offense. So, <laughs> so uh, they put me at tight end. And even then, I was just like, mm, that guy's a bit big. I don't really want it. Nah, just put me on the receiver with the little guy. And he's like, you can't play by receiver. It doesn't, it's far too big. But I'm fast. Like the, you know what I mean? So, so I was playing out there, wide receiver, with the coach that's there now. He's the head coach of Clemson now. He was the receiver's coach then, uh, Coach Sweeney. And so, um, yeah, I was doing that. I loved it. But then my grandmother passed away in, Niger in Nigeria. Yeah. And like she was like the head of my family, right? It was bad. It was the biggest loss in the family, and we needed money. So I was playing football. I had a basketball agent trying to get me a job. He didn't know I was playing. He knew. He heard I was playing football, and he's like, "Stop! You're not doing that. We're going pro. We're gonna get money. We're not doing this." So I was still playing football, and he's like, "Are you playing football still?" I'm like, "Nah, <laughs> I'm not." But I was just finishing practice, and then um, when my grandmother died, then the family needed money. And the same week that happened was the same week I got a job offer in Italy for 70k euros. I needed the money for the family, so I just I dropped it and I went. I took that contract. Wow. That process of of becoming a professional basketball player, uh, starting out in Italy, kind of what are your memories of that? Making the transition from from college, where I would assume you know, on some level, a lot is done for you. And then all of a sudden being a professional, it's very much, you're kind of on your own. You've got to kind of work it out by yourself. Uh, you know, how did you find it? And I guess what ultimately ended up um, 
causing you to to end up leaving uh, the side in Italy uh, before the season was up? Yeah, that was that was hard as well. Like I, people don't understand like the transition of turn of going from like a place like I mean I had just did it. I went from uh, high school in New Jersey to the South. The culture shock. I just went through that. So you would think that it was something that I would be able to deal with. But going to Italy and like especially like this small rural rural town like I was in, I went through another depression. It was really really hard. It was horrible. Nobody spoke English. Like, they have siesta. I didn't know what siesta was. So, like, when we finished practice, I'm trying to go to the store. It's all closed. It's, like, 1 o'clock. Everything's closed in the day. Didn't know what that was. Weird. Um, just can't find anything. And especially Italy, especially the small town I'm at, everything's very, very, very routine. They eat the same thing every day. Like, it's, there's no chicken out there like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like it's just... It was rough, and the TV was just Italian, and, and oh, it was hard. I remember I used to leave the TV on, and I come out for practice, and I in the I could see Fresh Princes on the TV, and I was like, oh my, I, I was so happy, like something I know, and I open the door, and freaking Will Smith speaking Italian, and I'm just like, oh no, what they done to Fresh Prince? <laughs> like, so it was hard. It was really hard, man. But um, as far as the basketball, it was. Quite, it wasn't easy for me because Clemson. It was so tough at Clemson and so militant that when I got there, it wasn't that hard at all. And a few preseason games I played, I started all of them. And then I remember coach saying to me the day before the first game, he said, "Look, you're going to be a really good player in this league, but you have to let it come to you. Tomorrow you'll play, but you won't play much because it's just not your time." And he explained it to me, and I still didn't understand it. Um, I didn't play much, but. I appreciate the fact that he told me. Like he, he, didn't, he let me know. And then as time went on, I started building up more, and I was getting more playing time, more playing time. But I wasn't getting my money, so that was really frustrating. Um, uh, where's the money? Where's the money? I'm asking for sure. It was some sort of mafia connected somehow because the way we was getting paid was insane. Everything was cash. Like, dude, the highest paid player on the team was getting thirty five grand a month, cash. Like everything was cash. And the way you get paid, you go into this hotel where they used to feed us for free. And there's a big picture on the wall, bigger than me. You move the picture, there's a door. Open the door, you go underneath the building, underground. A little round table with a light in the middle and some guy with a cigarette in his mouth would just count out cash and pay you. And I remember he paid me one time. I think I was like, I was on seven grand a month and I only got like half. And then I remember looking at and I said, bruv, this is not this is more. And then the other guy goes, no, 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 no. And I'm like, I need my money. He said, no, no, come, come. He took me upstairs. He said, listen, you don't talk to him. <laughs> like, he's a crazy man. Very crazy. You don't talk to him. And I'm like, I'm crazy too. I need my money. Like, <laughs> next month, I got paid what they owe me and then, and then some. And that's what he was saying. He said, that's how we work here. But I can't operate under like that. And so with me not liking the situation and then having to fight tooth and nail for my money, which... Ends up, man, that's pretty much basketball What? That's mainly why I stopped playing. Was you fight for your money. You got to fight. You got to ask for your money. You feel bad about asking for the money you signed for. But back then, I didn't know that that was normal. And plus me not liking the city and the situation, I was just like, I need to get out. I need to get out. So, um, and then also back then, it was like, I'll just get another job. I'll get, I'll play somewhere else. I know someone to pick me up. <laughs> I mean, like, and my agent was like, are you sure? Like, it's gonna, we'll hand you another job, but it's not going to come like tomorrow. 
So I was like, look, I don't care. I, I got to go. So in the league that time, something crazy was like, if they haven't paid you, you're, if you're old, whenever you're old, and the whole month has gone by and you've not received that money from the month before, they're not eligible to play in the playoffs. It's a crazy rule that works out for the players. I didn't know this. So my agent knew this. So I was owed two months check. So what my, my agent worked, he told them, listen, he's leaving and he needs all his money. And if he doesn't get it, we're going to the board to let them know. So I'm going to the uh, pick up my money thinking I'm only getting a month's worth. I picked up 50 grand. <laughs> right? So I thought they made a mistake. But I ain't about to say nothing. So I left. And my agent was like, I'm not trying to scare you, but that team is mafia. You know what I mean? It's, there's been some rumors of some players, and two people passed away earlier that year um, that worked within the club. Like, I don't know, one was a manager, one was a trainer. So, and nobody knows what happened to him. It was crazy. So he was just like, I would advise you to pack your bags and just sleep somewhere else. Like, just, just to be safe. I'm not trying to scare you. I was just scared. I was cool. I, I, I'll do that, no problem. I packed my stuff. I probably left some stuff. I stayed at my teammate house. Then I went back the next morning uh, just to make sure. And then the, uh, the neighbor was like, two men, they're looking for you. Two men, suits. So I don't know what it was coming for. Maybe it was coming to get their money, whatever. But I didn't sleep there that night. Um, <laughs> and I left out of there and I came back to London with 50,000. I didn't, no, listen, I don't care, man. It's just 15 years ago. Tax, none of that. I wasn't fussed. <laughs> I came back 50,000 euros in my pockets. <laughs> you did get stopped by customs. Nah, they were gonna stop me. I don't care. Um, cause this happens a lot. I'm the one guy here. He shot. He had this belt. Basketball player he had this belt. He, he, um, he was an older guy, and he said, "Yeah, every year at the end of the season, he wears his belt. It carries a hundred thousand. You can fit it in. It wraps around your waist, under your clothing." Um, but no, I just had my pocket stuffed like a drug dealer or something. <laughs> I came back, I took it to the bank. First thing I did, I went to uh, East London and I got some jewellery, silly stupidness like that, you know what I mean? Oh, took him on up in there. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I left. So you ended up signing in Sweden, right? Yeah. How, how did that come about? It, it seems like com- competition-wise, on the floor, it feels like that would be a significant step down from Italy's top flight. It was, 100%. It was, Sweden was a job. Like, um, I didn't even want to go. But then I was my talking to one of my best friends um, because of the experience I just had in um, Italy, I didn't want to go. I just didn't want to go. I just thought it was going to be another little town. I'm going to hate it. And one of my best friends, I was talking to him. He's a rapper, and he was like, he's used to traveling all around, like all like doing shows in there. He's like, listen, like, it's not like that there. Like you're going to love it. They just they just came back from doing the show there a couple months before. And he was like, you're going to love it out there. Like it's different. You, the girls out there, it's like it's a different life. And I was just like. All right, man. <laughs> so then I signed. I, I went and I did like it. It was nice. It was a really nice place. But the basketball, the level of basketball was a joke. It was hideous. I was killing. Like the fir- the first time we. So what happened was the team that signed me for a decent check because they needed to make the playoffs. But in order to make the playoffs, they couldn't lose no more games. So I got off the plane. Literally got off the plane and went straight to a game. I, they, could, they didn't even tell me. I'm just thinking I'm going back to the room. We play now. A real game, yeah. So I played, well, I think I like 20, but we lost. So from then on, it didn't matter what happened. We couldn't make playoffs. So uh-huh. common sense would have told me they're going to cut me now. Right? But I didn't think. I didn't know. So I just kept playing, practicing, and eventually said, look, 
can't keep you because you can't afford it and you can't make the playoffs. But they offered me a contract for next year. But I was just like, well, nah, you shouldn't, nah. Like, you could have come to us with a deal, I would stay. But you know, if you want to cut me, then that's it. I'm, I'm leaving. So um, that's why I left there. And that's when Drew called me. Like, listen, just finish the year up here in Newcastle. Like, stop bouncing around in Europe. Come back here, get your confidence back up, finish the season, and then look at Europe. I didn't year. even think about the fact that you would have been playing with Drew in, in Newcastle. I didn't yeah. even clock. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Drew was up there. Um, I think that's one of Newcastle's recruiting things is they say, come here, just play a year and then go to Europe. But if you go to Newcastle, you love it there so much. You're not leaving. <laughs> you know what I mean? They know once they get you, you're staying. Ask any of them guys up there. None of them wanted to leave. Whoever left Newcastle didn't leave, but they wanted to. Unless it was off to Europe, for sure. Like, Drew took a huge contract, I believe, in uh, Spain. But you can't turn that kind of money down. But other than that, once you get to Newcastle, like, just everything about, like, the way you're treated as an athlete, the nightlife, like, just everything, like, you're good. You're comfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, do you think, like, you know, you ended up for the majority, the vast majority of your career, you, you played in the BBL. Like, do you think part of that was because of the fact that, uh, you know, you enjoyed being home and kind of, I guess, those two experiences abroad hadn't been, you know, massively positive? Nah, that's not the reason why. Um, I, this is my personal life, but I don't mind. 100% only reason why I did not go back to Europe was because I had a kid. Um, my agent released me from him because I was turning down contracts, six-figure contract. I turned out like six-figure contract, I think Lithuania. Not high, it was like, just, I think it was like 100,000. No. <laughs> because my girl was pregnant and she wasn't, she, she wasn't looking to leave the city. She, was, she didn't want to leave. So I'm not, and I'm not leaving my kid. I didn't have a dad growing up. So I'm not leaving my kid. You know what I mean? And even my mom was like, you got to go. Take the... I was like, no. <laughs> How can you tell me to go and you fuss that my dad's for not being there for me? Like, what are you doing? We talking about. You know what I mean? So that's the only reason. I turned down multiple contracts to play all of France, uh, Belgium. No, I mean, a good four or five contracts for sure. Anyway, that I turned down because, nah, I'm, I'm staying by my daughter. And then once my girl was born, um, about a year in, maybe two years, then my, my girl's mother, or maybe uh, mother, she was ready to go to Europe. She was like, okay, we'll go. So then I took another contract, went to Cyprus. And we all went, her, she had a kid before, my daughter, previous. So took him, took, we all went, but didn't work out, so we came back. Um, wow. And that is when I would say, okay, I'm done with this Europe thing because the it's just too hard a situation. That's fascinating. Yeah, because I... It's one of the things where, where, you know, from everyone I speak to about you uh, as a basketball player, you know, it's like, obviously, and then Ghana Clemson, everything, it's like, and this is no shade at the BBL, but like, Ooh. when you look at your pro career, I would have looked at him and been like, I would have expected him to have played at a higher level for a, a more consistent period of time. Yeah. But actually, you know, that makes perfect sense. And uh, it's it's one of them things where I, I feel, and I do say this a lot, where I think it's so easy with basketball that we kind of forget that... Um, <laughs> basketball players are people and there's actually yeah. like real life things going on that, that yeah. are more important than what's going on between the four lines and actually not all decisions are going to be made purely for, for basketball reasons and there are other other factors that, that you know um, 
that you have to take into account. Ooh. When you look back on kind of uh, your time, I, I think I, I added up and I think I think it's about, it's nine titles that you won in the BBL. Um, when you look back on your, your sort of time in the league, what were the highs? What are the sort of the standout memories, uh, standout periods, teams that you played on um, that you look back on really fondly? I've had great times, man. Like, just to tell you what you were talking about before, like, I've had many people during my career like, ask me, like, why are you, like, you shouldn't be here? Why are you playing here? Like, and I thought, maybe, but I'm with my kid. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so I always thought back then, like, if I do leave, I'm going to miss all these things. I'm going to miss the birthdays, the Christmases, I'm going to miss just the walking and everything. And I'll not have that when I retire. Or go and take the money and use that and say that's my that's what it is that's what that's the benefit. But for me, it wasn't worth it because it may be then, but then like now I'm I'm done. If I had done that, I would have missed everything. So I don't have no regrets in that. I'm glad I chose the way I chose, and I've lost people in my family not talk to me anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I've turned down you know I mean situations to go play abroad um, close. People, <laughs> I mean, like, well, I don't care, and I have no regrets, and I had a great time playing over here. Um, obviously, Newcastle is a lovely city. My daughter's up there; she's a complete Geordie now. She's twelve years old. Um, it's a nice city. The way they lose threat as athletes, they treat like they do things properly up there. Like, I'm guessing the way football players get treated in this country, that's how they treat their basketball players. Um, so, yeah, Newcastle was really good. Uh, Paul, Blake, Fab, them guys, they, they, I've got nothing bad to say against them. The only one thing I would say is the reason I left that place, I, I'm not mad at it, but it didn't go in my favour because I wasn't planning on leaving. My daughter was just born that in June. So that summertime, I was up there. I had spoke to them previously, and they was like, yeah, we want to bring you back. And I even remember Paul even was talking about offering me because they used to get mad because they used to say I should um, rebound the ball more, which is true. I should have. I didn't, for my side, I didn't really get many rebounds. Um, so Paul was even saying he was looking at some sort of a situation where they'd offer me a bonus for averaging a certain amount of rebounds. So in my head, I'm not going anywhere. My kid's just been born. And then it was like the end of August. They called me in. They was like, look, we're really sorry, but we've got no money left. So this whole summer, I'm just telling with my brand new firstborn kid thinking I'm here, I'm good, living in their house, their team house. And then they was just like, nah, can't do it. So I was like heartbroken. Man. <laughs> and more, I was, more than anything, I was stressed. Like, I got a kid now. What, you know what I mean? What am I going to do? So um, that's when I started playing that. But Newcastle, I love them guys up there and I appreciate it. And then I went to Everton. And that first team I played on Everton was stacked. Um, Midgley, Richard Midgley was there who to this day is one of the best point guards I've seen. One of the best points to come out of this country. I don't care what nobody said. He just fell out of love with the game. He could be playing today still if he wanted to. Um, him, Andre Smith, one of the most dominant big men to play in the league at the time. He, he 20 and 15 every game. Um, that team was stacked. Playing for Tony again, Garbaletto. Um, that first team was really, I enjoyed it. But to be honest, I would say I enjoyed the second team the second year I played there more than the first because that was the first time in my career Tony gave the ball to me. He brought the team around me. 
and that's never that's never happened before. Um, and we were successful. I was captain, and we won the playoffs at the end. Yeah, um, and we had we ended up getting stacked. We didn't start off stacked. We ended up getting stacked. We had a great point guard from California, Kevin Bell. We had uh, Trey Moore, who's the best between him and Charles Smith are the best scorers. They've got to be the best scorers to ever play in this league. Um, but yeah, that year was like Tony built it around me, and I appreciate that. And that's the only reason. Like, I was I um, was in a um, this little thing. It's like the Mersey Athlete of the Year, and I was I was a runner up for that. But that was based on the way Tony built me as a player on that team. So I appreciate that. I had a good year there. Um, and then after that, I'll tell you the Sharks. Many good years here. Um, first year I got there. I remember talk, I was in Cyprus. And Tebow was recruiting me before I left. But I told him I, I was going out there. And then once I knew I was leaving Cyprus, I was talking to a Tebow. Like, listen, I'm coming back. Like, what's good? And he's like, yeah, come. So um, I knew I had that. But then as I got back, the Rocks started recruiting me. Star. And <laughs> this is bad. I, sh- I shouldn't have did this. But I remember telling Tebow that I'm going up there just to have a look around. And it's, no, 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 come, come, come in. I'll send you a train now. But I had already committed. Still, I'm coming. And I should have, as a man, called him to look, I'm going to Sheffield, sorry, but I didn't. I just left it. <laughs> and then I, um, that's bad. I felt I always felt bad for that. Um, and I just went down to Sheffield. And that first team, again, was stacked. There was just so many players in it. It like, didn't matter who played, pretty much. Like, um, and We won the trophy. Who was, it, who was in that group? Uh, who was on the team? Me, Mike Tuck, Paul Williams. I'm so bad with names, man. Marcus Stout, D'Agostino, Ryan Patton. It was a tough team. It was a tough team. Um, but the best team I'd say, without a doubt, is my first team in Newcastle. Like, clean sweep. Like, that team was, a, it was crazy. That team was so good. Jeremy Hyatt, TJ Walker. Charles Smith, Drew, Paul, uh, Andrew Bridgie, uh, me, Darius, uh, Perry, Perry Lawson. Like, it was just, it was a tough team. Like every game, nobody was worried. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but that came from practice. We used to get more out of practice than the game. The practice was a was dog fight. Every practice. Like, I missed that kind of practice. I've not had anything like that, I don't think, since then. You know, like just so competitive and like, Damn their fist fights, close, you know what I mean? But then as soon as practice is over, everyone's laughing and joking again. Like, that was definitely, I think that's the best team to come out of this league, I think. When you talk about the the progress of the league as a whole, uh, looking at kind of, you know, you, you were involved with it for the best part of a, of a decade. Um, you look at kind of where it was it when you when you first started getting involved to kind of where it is now. Like, do you feel like progress is being made? Do you feel like um, the pro league in this country is kind of taking big steps forward? No, I think it's a joke. To be fair, sorry, I can't. I can't I'm not going to bite my tongue. I don't. And it's not necessarily. I think the players have a lot to do with that as well as organizations. Um, I think there needs to be a union for sure, hundred percent. So someone needs to sort this out. I don't have time and I don't play no more. <laughs> but if I was playing, um, I, some one of these guys needs to start, needs to form a union. We tap to Chris Paul, ask him how they're doing, the NBA, whatever. And the BBR needs one because players don't have a voice and they need one. 
And when you don't have a voice, you won't get respected. And that's what's happened. But from the player side, they're killing the game too because players are paying, playing for free. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, I'm not going to say any names here, but towards the end of my Sheffield career, and you could, you could probably figure this out on your own, a player came up here and he was asking me, oh, I just want to play, I just want an opportunity. This isn't a young guy now. Yeah, if you're young, I understand. This guy is not young. I just want the opportunity. I'm not worried about getting paid. Paid, sorry. So I'm saying to him, no, 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 that's not how this works. You must take money. You have to get paid. If you don't get paid, you're killing the sport. How are you killing the sport? So this guy, wants to, let's say he's my position. I require a check. This is the reason why I went to America and all that, was to up my value, right? So if I play for a team and we win the championship, how much money does that team gain from winning the championship in this country? I don't know the answer to that question, but I'm assuming it's not much. So why pay me when you can take him for free? Because even if we win the championship, we ain't getting the money anyway. It's still a business at the end of the day. So when players are playing for free, I'm talking about free. There's players in the BBL playing for nothing. They're playing for petrol money. You think, you think that's still happening today? today? I don't think I know. I'm, I'm in the game. I'm here. <laughs> I know. You know what I mean? Some players, players that you look at in this league, right, that have been in the league 15 years, I'm not saying no names, but I'm, not, I'm talking specific people that are paying for £500 a month. I'm just being honest, right? So if you're going to do that, if you're not going to demand more of yourself, yeah, it's not about being arrogant. It's just, look, it's a business. I have people that work for me. I have to pay them. I can't drip drag pay them. I can't give them peanuts. I have to pay them. If you're gonna if you're gonna just take small amounts of money, take drip drabs of payments, if you're gonna accept these things, then when people do start to demand what the contract is signed, they're gonna be outcasted, they're gonna be pushed away. Look, there's the bad guy. Oh no, he asked for too much. That's what happened to me. Like and I like the reason why I was demanding like that was because one, I had a family, and two, I was also running my own business. And I know I can't run my business like that. So how am I being? This doesn't make any sense. So I walked away from it. But players are killing the game too for taking low contracts and just accepting whatever. Just for the, and it's all for the love of the game. I get it. I get it. You know, what I mean, we love the game, but at the end of the day, it's a business as well, and we have to respect that from both sides of the ball. You know. Yeah, one hundred percent. I'm aware of time here, so just just before we start wrapping up, uh, final thing I wanted to touch upon was just national team, um, and representing your country. It was, you know, kind of. I, I got um, I spoke to a couple of the historians around the game, Jamie Smith and, and John Atkinson, who are responsible for kind of tracking all the caps and stuff like that. Mm. Um, you were involved with the GB program in the in, a, in the run up to 2012, obviously. Uh, do you feel like um? you kind of didn't reach what you could have done with the national team. It was like you only ended up with four with four caps, right? For the, yeah. for GB, this is not necessarily this isn't this isn't England. I don't have any the England stats. Um, but again, it's one of those ones where you're you're an extremely talented player. You're obviously with a generation that also had extremely talented in the run of 2012. There was all the resource, and you know you had guys like Luol and whoever playing. Um, but kind of when you look at the national team, do you have any kind of uh, thoughts, feelings about kind of your involvement with the programme, whether or not um, you should have been playing more, whether you could have uh, received more caps? Uh, I think that's my own fault, if I'm honest. Um, 
I didn't want to play. I didn't want to do it. Uh, when I came back from America, uh, Tony was involved. And he, he was like, I remember walking into the gym in East London. He didn't know I was back in the country. And he was like, oh, GB, come on, we're doing GB. And I was like, oh, no, I don't really want to. I just came, I just got off the plane. I don't really want to. And in my opinion, the summertime was my time. I devote the rest of my life to basketball. So I just want my summer. Um, so I did it then, but I didn't really want it. I didn't like it, didn't enjoy it. Then I remember I was in Newcastle. And Drew was saying, come on, like to Drew, it was a no-brainer, let's go. And I didn't want to, I just didn't want to. And I just met my girl at the time, and he was like, is it because of her? Like, no, Drew, I just don't want to, I don't want to play. I didn't want to do it. But then I, he drugged me in the car, I did it. <laughs> and we went to Norway or somewhere, Finland, I don't know, played a couple games, got smashed. That was partly why I didn't want to do it, because I didn't like losing like that. And we always just getting smashed. And I just knew that, I just didn't see it getting any better for us. So I kind of was just like, no, nah, I'm not really into it. And then I even, like, everybody was just on me about doing it. And I, I, it was just turning me off even more. Paul Blake sat me down one time and was like, look, I can get you back on the team if you just uh, want to commit to it. And I was like, but that's the problem. I'm not committed to it. I'm not. And then even when the whole Olympic thing came around, I still didn't care. I, I, didn't, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, so what? Like, it's not for me. Um, but after that year I had at Everton, that was when you did the interview with you, when you see me down there then, yeah. I was like, all right, I'll do it now, you know? Um, so I did it then, but something happened. I can't remember. We were supposed to go to Israel, but something happened with me. Maybe I lost my passport or something. I don't know. And I was just like, ah, oh, screw this. I'm not <laughs> it's a sign. It's but, a sign. Yeah. And then also I thought if I tell him, it was a silly reason for not, to not go on my on my part. And I thought they're going to think, you know what? This guy's not serious. He's just messing around again. So I just was like, oh, I'm done with this, man. Yeah. And then I think what they thought was, because the Olympics was in London, they thought, I thought, okay, I want to do this now. So I did reach out. And then I think, I can't remember. It just, it didn't happen. So in my opinion, it was on me. But I don't, I have no regrets. Yeah, that's fair enough. So it's just some some quick fire questions uh, to wrap up. Um, starting with uh, your favourite basketball teammate from your career. I can't do that. <laughs> I can't do that. I can't do that, man. I can't do that. <laughs> I got too many, man. I got too many. I can't do that. I'm not even going to say one of them. Okay, fair enough. Uh, yeah. Best best coach you've ever played for? Joe, for sure. Joe. And then um, I like Joe um, and my high school coach, too. I like them, too, a lot. Uh, in the pro game, see, this is what I'm saying. I can't just leave people out. I respect people for different things. I've seen Fab go from... He was learning on the job when I first got there. So if he thinks I'm out of line for saying that, I'm sorry, but that's just my opinion. And I've seen the exact same thing with Atiba. He was learning on the job and playing at the same time, you know? And I've watched him grow into knowing the answer as before thinking the answer, you know? Them two are the same. Tony, when I got there, he was a well-established coach. He already knew what he was doing. Like, I don't know. I don't have no favorites in life, man. Funny enough, you said that was the same thing you said in the 2010 interview because I was asking your, your favorites. You're like, I don't have no favorites, there's no favorites no, on nothing. I don't, man. Um, okay. the best junior British player you've ever seen doesn't matter what they did at pro level, but as a junior, I drew something 100%. Not even close, it's, it's, nah, who's close? Nobody's close to Drew. Uh, nah, nobody's close to Drew. No one, yeah. best player you've ever played against. Um, it'd have to be that kid, Duan Wagner, from the high school. He didn't. I don't know what happened. He didn't make it to the league, and he had injuries and something he, happened. He had um, he had ulcerative colitis. 
That's uh, it's a stomach inflammatory bowel disease and that. Okay, yeah, that's what Mike Rappaport has. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, I, there was horrible rumors, but um, I don't know what happened to him. I, I've never seen anybody score like that. I've not. I've not. I've not seen it like before. One, your favourite, I know you don't have favourites, but okay, your standout, just one basketball memory from your entire career, from your junior days all the way through to the pro days. If I was to ask you to pick one, what would it be? The highlight. Um, maybe the championship we won, the trophy we won in Sheffield against Leicester. Um, because everybody knew we were going to lose that game. Like, we had zero respect on anybody, including Leicester. I'm going to say that. Sorry. They were walking around knowing that they had it in the bag. All of them. The only people that believed we were going to win was us. Like, we were the only ones. Like, And so I remember even the way we came out at the beginning of the game, we just came out swinging, and they, they didn't know how to react to that. So I'd probably say that was my favourite uh, championship. And then finally, what do you want your legacy to be? When people talk about uh, you as a, as a basketball player and kind of your, your career, what do you want them to be saying? Um, that they couldn't score on me. <laughs> and I would hold my team down. Like, I, I, you couldn't bully not one of my teammates. I would not have it. Like, not even on a tough guy thing, but just we're not, we're not going for that. Like... <laughs> If you're playing against me, just know, just keep it basketball and keep it cool, and we'll just, you know what I mean, that's it. Like, there's going to be no bullying out here. No one's going to be talking crazy to no one because then they're going to have to sort, like, deal with me, and I'll sort that. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> Oli, that's a, a perfect place to leave it. Thank you so much for taking the time. Um, wish you all the best with future endeavours. I'll make sure I link up to, to Wing Kings and where people can find you in Sheffield. And next time I'm, I'm up that way, I'll have to pay you a visit and, and get some wings as well. Definitely, man. Come up, man. Let me know. Would do. Thank you. Thanks a lot, man. Psst. Hey, podcast listener. Bet you weren't expecting to hear from me again. Now that you've listened to the show, please take two seconds to take your podcast player out of your pocket and give us a rating and review on iTunes. It would be massively appreciated and goes a long way in helping us spread this content far and wide. Literally take your phone out of your pocket right now. Uh, open up your podcast player. Go to the Hoops Fix podcast. You'll see the option to leave a rating and review. Drop us a five star if you love it. And uh, if you could take two seconds just to write a review as well, it would be massively, massively appreciated. Thank you and speak to you next week. You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more.